0: Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us, or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. This week, it's every, it's gonna go on for a few months, it's every table, every house, every church, and every community. And basically, last week, the, 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 the main points were that what if every table was an altar and an opportunity? What, what if? What if every table was actually literally an altar as well as an opportunity? So we started going through the stories, and David, who wasn't at the table, so we just invited you to say you belong. You, you have the very thing that the kingdom needs. You have the very thing that your workplace needs. You're carrying the gift to bring it to your family, your relatives, your friends, your coworkers, your neighborhood, your city, your nation. You hold that gift, and there's a table place set for you. And when you don't show up, there's something missing. And we talked about, I kind of geeked out uh, with the tabernacle and talking about the, the, the brazen altar and the altar of incense. And then we talked about the table of showbread. And the showbread is is really the table, it's the bread of his presence, also meaning the bread of his face-to-face, his bread of his face, inviting you each into a face-to-face encounter. So what does it look like if every table is an altar and an opportunity to where we are so in love and consumed by his presence, he's an all-consuming fire. What does it look like that our lives are such on fire and so ingrained and so uh, full of his presence that everywhere we go becomes transformed? Everywhere we go, revival breaks out at our house, at our community, at our church. What, what does this look like? So That's really what the, what, the, what the series is about, and I'm excited to continue it today. Uh, so we're going to just get right into it, into Psalms 23. And, and I just, I'm excited because there is something significant about a table. Amen? There's something significant, and, and we talked about my tradition last week, and, and we talked about how every single um, evening when I get home from work we sit at the dinner table as a family and we ask each other questions and, and we start by how was your day what was the best thing about your day and we're learning we're building relationship we're building history we're building interest in, in, in the lives of each other and that, that's what's happening at the dinner table and, and I made a comment last week that God's not looking for a girlfriend or a fiance he's looking and he calls us his bride and intimacy is what he longs for. He longs for that heart-to-heart connection. He longs to be one with us and us to be one with him. And literally, it starts at a dinner table. It starts at the invitation of us saying, of him saying to us, you're invited. You belong at this table. We're going to break bread together. We're going to do communion together. So literally, it's an invitation to you as an individual to dine at his table, to have communion with him where, his, where the wine is representing his blood and the bread of life is him. He himself is the bread. And, it, and it's this amazing thing that we get to feast on him. And the Bible says, taste and see that he's good. This all happens at the dinner table. So, as we, as we get into this, last week's focus was more about you and God, you and his presence, you communing with God, you breaking bread with the Lord, you being consumed by his presence. This week, we're really going to focus and shift it about communing with each other. And we're going to end it today just having communion as a church. And, and there's, this, there's a twofold purpose of the table in, in, in scripture communion with him and communion with each other. And, and, I, and I want to take note that it says break bread, not broccoli. All you vegetarians out there. It doesn't say break a piece of celery. It says break bread. Carbs are okay. That's what's gotten me into trouble, all right? I got to actually watch that. It would have been just a little bit better if it says break meat. But anyway, I'm not going to add to scripture. Revelation tells me I can't. So Anyway, it's this—it's this invitation today to commune with each other, to be friends, and, and I love. We'll end at the, the the end of the service. We'll talk about Ma- in Matthew, where it says the festival of the Last Supper. This is, can be a party. This can be something where we actually build friendship. We're building a history. We're building connection. We're building intimacy with each other. So the scripture that we used last week, a big one that's going to go through. I'm not going to to read it to you today for the sake of time. But at the end of Acts. Acts 2, at the end of Acts 2, it it talks about how they sold everything. They were one mind, they were one accord, they they met together. And then it says that they sold everything, they became one, and they met with each other house to house and in the tabernacle daily. So there is an importance that we're gonna unfold over the next series of of weeks and even a couple months to talk about the importance of meeting house to house, meeting around the table, meeting at Applebee's, meeting at, at, at Grounds for Pleasure coffee shop, the best coffee shop around. Oh, it might be because we own it. But anyway, there, there's something to be said about what it looks like. And, and then there's an importance, though, that also where we get to come together, we get to meet in life groups in each other's houses, we get to have each other for dinner, we get to build that connection, that heart connection, that, that, that friendship. Listen, we, we say we're family, but we get to choose to be friends. That's the cool thing about the Lord. He 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 wants a family. He desires his family or he wouldn't have us call him our father in the Lord's prayer. He he created a family so that we can be in a family and always live in an eternal family. Listen, it started with a family. It it operates throughout history as a family and it ends as a family. He started with Adam and Eve and he's returning for a bride that ends as a family. So, But then there's also the importance of us coming together and meeting in the temple as well. That's the Sunday expression. That's, that's us today, where we get to represent all these houses, all these expressions of worship, all these giftings, anointings, talents, all this stuff coming together to be one body, to be the bride, to actually look like the bride, to actually look beautiful. Here's, here's the reason I think that the Lord hasn't returned for us yet. is because we're not beautiful and plump enough yet. I'll just be honest with you, there's still so much quarreling going on between denominations, and there's still so many unsafe people, the bride isn't voluptuous enough yet. The bride is not plump and beautiful enough, but guess what, one day it's going to be. And he's going to return for a beautiful bride, and again, it ends as a family, it ends as a relationship, a marriage with intimacy involved. So today we we go to Psalms 23, again, God is longing for intimacy with us and us with each other. So so Psalms 23 says this, Just, just say it along with me if you know it in your heart or if you need to read it from the screen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Let's take a note to that. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Listen. Verse 5. It says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my of my enemies, How beautiful is it to know that there is a table that's already prepared for us that, that involves me, my enemies, people that I have offenses with, people who have offenses against me, people who have maybe hold things against me that I'm not even aware of. People that maybe look down on me, people that are naysayers, people that don't agree with what we're doing here. Guess what? He has prepared this giant feast, this giant table in heaven that we can all dine together. But guess what? He's preparing the table for us right now too. A few months ago we talked about between two seasons and I preached a message on reconciliation. That he literally, it says the Bible says we have the spirit or the gift of reconciliation. We have a ministry of reconciliation. And that means actually taking two things that are divided and bringing them together that are one. Listen, the purpose of the dinner table is so that enemies can dine together and actually be friends. It's so that churches can dine together and be unified in one message. Christ crucified and resurrected. A dinner table has been set before us so that people who who may have a different lifestyle than us can actually be loved and welcomed into an encounter with Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean I have to agree with their religion. It doesn't mean I have to agree with their, their lifestyle or even the sin they may be involved in. But what it does mean is that there is a place for them as well at the table. Listen, there's a place for all of us at this table, believers and unbelievers. I believe that there's two races in this land. There's not black. There's not white. There's not Latino. I believe there's two races saved and, and there's believers and there's pre-believers. There's saved and not yet saved. I wouldn't even say unsaved because they're only one encounter away. They're only one love encounter away from knowing Jesus is Messiah. And it's up to us whether or not we're going to lead him to that table in the presence of us and our enemies to lead them into an encounter with Jesus Christ and the power of His Holy Spirit. So listen, there's a purpose of this table. Listen, I, I remember John 3:16. It says, for God so loved the what? The world. Translated cosmos, everyone and everything. He so loved the cosmos. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will what? Not perish, but have what? Eternal life. 17, we typically skip. says he didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. And suddenly now we see this picture of a dinner table that seats everybody. The graphic that we've used for this series, if they can find it, it's this table that spins around and it goes as far as you can see. Imagine the dinner table that Jesus has prepared for the entire world to dine at, to encounter him, to feast on him, and taste and see that he's good. And it's between us and the presence of our enemies. let's let's move on here. Listen, Isaiah 1.8. See, part of this, this dinner table is an opportunity for us To actually make friends. It's an opportunity for us to quit quarreling and quit being divisive and quit talking about each other behind our backs. It's a place for us to quit sowing discord. It's a place for us to quit gossiping and talking about one another, but it's actually a place for friendship, unity, and honor. Listen, love looks like something. God is love and He looks like something, and oftentimes He looks like honor. So all of a sudden, when you're at a dinner table and you're in the presence of your enemy, now you're working out the junk. We briefly discussed this last week and we briefly talked about what it looks like and I used the example of Steve and I. Listen, there was a ministry going on this morning because he and I decided to choose a heart connection at a dinner table in the presence of a disagreement. We chose to to go together. We chose to, to, to reveal each other's hearts and add value to one another and see the differences alive and well in each other and then appreciate that and come together in one mind and one accord so that the kingdom can be furthered and his glory can be made known and God can be made famous. That's the heart connection. So now suddenly there's a friendship that's formed there and there's honor that is displaced and there's honor. Listen, that is the culture of honor where we sit among our friends, among our family, and among our enemies, and we treat each other the same because of the love the Father has on us. It says it's the goodness of God. The Word says it's the goodness of God that lead men to what? Repentance. It's not typically an argument. It's not typically, well, I disagree with you, and I disagree with your theology. Listen, we don't gather up Upper Room because we all agree with the same theology on every single detail of the Word, We gather because we love each other and we love the kingdom and we love the presence and we love that Jesus Christ came to a cross, was crucified, was resurrected and is returning again. We gather around the main things. It doesn't mean we have to see eye to eye on everything. It means we sit at that dinner table because we belong. We sit at the dinner table because we believe and we sit at the dinner table because he's amazing and he's for some reason saw in his best interest and our best interest to actually be together and do this thing called life. So we go to Isaiah, and he says this. So says, so we're working out these different differences, and, and we call this the culture of honor, where it's actually the point of, of a confrontation is actually connection. <laughs> Listen, the heart of our disagreement and the heart of the presence of the enemy in our midst is not so that I can prove myself Right? It's not so that I can argue and just say that I'm right. It's actually to build connection and actually reveal each other's faults so that we can actually go deeper and those things are exposed so we can sharpen each other's iron and actually grow from it. (laughs) It's not just so that we can sow discord about somebody else at the dinner table who may be at the other end or not at the table yet. It's actually so we can grow like this and come in as one. His prayer, Jesus' prayer to the Father in John 17 it's this beautiful thing. It's, it's my favorite chapter in the Bible. Because Jesus' heart is so that we can be one. He says, as you and I are one, as, as Father, you and I are one, let the world see what we have. Let us see our connection. Let the world see what we have so that they too can be one with you. Paraphrasing, but the heart of John 17 is so that we are one so that we can be one. And we're one so we can be one. So that the world can be one. W-O-N. So we see this connection, we see this culture of honor, we see the pursuit of this connection, and the goal of it is to actually grow from it, grow closer, and be a family and actually choose to be friends. So we get to Isaiah 1.8 and it says, Come now, let's settle this. Isn't that interesting? says the Lord. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. It doesn't say wait till next week or wait till the the, the issue arises again or or wait for the offense to just settle down. Let's sweep it under a rug. No, it says, come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Let's go to Matthew 18, 15 through 20. And this is kind of a two-part message today. The first part is reconciliation, the dinner table in the presence of our enemies. And the second one's gonna be excellence and creativity. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Now, listen, I'm gonna give you the recipe, I'm gonna give you the definition of working out an offense, working out your issues, okay? That's what we're going to work on here. This is an algorithm, a biblical algorithm to work out your differences, to work out your stuff, to work out your junk, and actually do this. So it says, if your brother sins against you, if somebody offends you, if somebody does wrong against you, if somebody just makes you mad, if somebody says the wrong thing at the wrong time, if you hear about somebody doing this, it says, go to your brother directly Do not pass go, do not do, go, boom, you and him alone. And then it says to do this. It says, if he hears you, you have gained your brother, but if he will not hear you, take take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word be established. Step two. Step one, go to the person directly. Don't involve anybody else at your table that isn't part of the problem and isn't part of the solution. What that means is, when I had an issue with Steve, I didn't go tell my brother. I didn't go tell anybody else. I didn't tell anybody we were going to be meeting for coffee that day. I didn't say, hey, blah, 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 can you believe this? He thinks, oh, they're probably going to leave the church over this one. No, it was between he and I, and that's happened with anybody that I've had an issue with or, or who've had an offense against me or with me. Listen, I go directly to you. If I have an issue, I do it at work, I do it with anybody. Why? Because the Bible actually says to and it's, and it's the great recipe for success and connection of relationships. So if he hears you, you start to build a heart connection, there's repentance, there's, there's, there's a, a bit of a thing going on that you're going closer, cool, we're good. Let's work on this. Let's keep this going, okay? Let's keep pursuing this connection. If he doesn't and nothing changes, there's no repentance, now get out of my face. Or maybe you've had to turn the other cheek because he made you. Now it says, bring one or two witnesses. Okay, let me translate that. And in some versions, it might say, now call the deacons of the church. What that means is now let's get somebody involved and let's get somebody who we trust, who we can both confide in, and it's not gonna leave this room and let's actually work a little deeper here and let's have a mediator help us work through some of this problem. All right, that's a life group leader. That's a good friend who you look up to. That's somebody who's valuable, who's not gonna take sides. That's a witness, all right, now if that doesn't work, let's read on. It says this. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Okay, now the elders of the church. Let me, let me translate that. Now we take it to the pastors. We take it to the upper leadership. Listen, I tried to go directly to him. I tried to go to our life group leader, our worship leader, or whatever. Now we need to go a little higher up. Listen, this is what we've done. I want to pursue connection. I want to honor this person. I want a friendship. I want a relationship. I want the offense to be gone, but I'm still having this issue. Now we get more people involved. Now, it still doesn't mean we bring you up in front of the entire church, put a scarlet letter around your neck, and all laugh at you and point and make fun of you. No, we don't bring in people to a mess who's not part of the problem and not part of the solution. That means discord. That means I don't tell you about what guys are going through at my work. Why? Because you're not part of their life and you're not at their dinner table. You're not in the presence of their enemy. You don't belong at that table. You're not part of the problem. You're not part of the solution. So listen, let, we got to get this right. Why? Because we want this. The dinner table set a place for us to actually grow in connection, be friends, and actually do life called family. So then it says, bring it to the church. Let him be. Be to you like a heathen and tax collector. Okay, and if he refuses to hear them, tell the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now, now we can begin to create boundaries and healthy boundaries because there's no resolution here. Now we can say, okay, now that's dangerous. Now he's not listening to the the council. There's safety in a multitude council. It's not going anywhere. Now let's create a healthy boundary here so I don't get hurt again. Let's create a healthy boundary here until we can actually start to do this and we're both receptive to that. Then it goes on to say this, surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now listen, that means if it doesn't belong in heaven, it doesn't have to belong on earth. So disease, illness, division, unforgiveness, those things we can bind on earth because we get to loose heaven into it. We get to rebuke the enemy's devour here on earth, so we get to actually rebuke illness. We get to rebuke division. We get to rebuke these divisions in our relationships, our families, or whatever it might be. And we get to loose heaven. That means we get to release heaven into these situations, into these realms. Then it goes on to say this. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree, two of you have merged into connection, it says this. On earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst. I'm there. He's saying, listen, now if you build this connection and you work this out in the presence of your enemy, now suddenly anything you ask in unity now, I can do it. Why? Because where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there. This is an amazing recipe for success in the kingdom in hosting his presence and being family, and actually getting to love the people that you run with. There's nothing more secure than knowing that the people that we're doing life with, that we're willing to sacrifice for, has your back, even when you're not looking that way. There's something secure knowing that when I turn my back, when I'm not at that place, when I'm not in that phone conversation, when I'm not in that text thread, that they're actually edifying each other in me, even when my back's turned, and I don't have to worry about something being stabbed in it. Why? Because we're following Matthew 18, and we're using the dinner table in the presence of our enemies. Let, let me paint a picture of somebody who was really successful at this, and it led to even something else. Solomon. Before I get there, there was, there's something in the honor, in, in the honor realm in uh, 2 Samuel, we, we know the history, and if you don't, there's a history between um, David, and there's a history of David and Saul. Saul wanted to kill David. He was jealous of him. David continually honored Saul throughout history. And if we, and if we recall this story, Methabasheth, David is calling out, is there any family among you? Is there any family of Saul out here? Now, meth. Thebesheth was rejected. He was, he was crippled and he was, in the, he was impoverished. But here's David's calling out, he was the grandson of Saul who didn't, was not at the table, was not in the house of royalty. But here's David still full of honor and says, he belongs at this table to honor the lineage and the legacy of Saul. Even the person that wanted to kill him, he's inviting his family lineage to his table. Why? Because he honors him and he honors the legacy and the blessing that's being paid forward. And that's what honor looks like. Even welcoming those to the table that were rejected from the table and don't belong. Where would the kingdom be if they went to Jesse's house and didn't get David to the table who was out tending the sheep? This is, this is what honor looks like. It's welcoming people into our table. So Solomon, David's son, he got to ask for one thing in history. What One thing, what would you ask for? You, know, Many of us, we might ask for joy. We may ask for, for, for wealth and riches. We may ask for uh, peace, forever peace. Solomon asked for wisdom. I tend to want to believe that no matter what he asked for, it was going to be the right thing. So he asked for wisdom, and, and many people don't realize this, but in part of his wisdom, let's, let's go to 1 Kings. Let's go to 1 Kings here. It says, verse 11, and I, I believe it's chapter 11 here. Let me see here. I have lost my notes. Verse 11, chapter 11, I'm sorry. Chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 1. It says this. It says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. Okay, then it goes on to say, verse 3. It says this. It says, he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. He's more of a man than I would be. I'm going to leave it at that. I'm just going to say that Nicole is more than enough for me, okay? So anyway, this is a man that had 700 wives of royal descent. So, so they were princesses, maybe queens. 700 of them, all right? Now here's the thing. Solomon just didn't love women. He just didn't love being with women. He was building diplomacy. He was building peace among the nations. Every woman he slept with and married was every nation he now had forever peace with. Listen, he, he was a very wise man. Now, eventually it led to some destruction because the Lord had warned him if he's with all these women... And he, there was instructions not to marry outside of there. If, if and he said that eventually you'll start to serve their gods, and, and he did. But here's the deal: we go back to chapter ten, and we're going to focus on this just for a little bit here. Queen of Sheba, all right? The visit of Queen of Sheba, chapter First Kings ten. I'm going to read this a good portion of this chapter, starting at verse one. When the Queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's fame, which brought honor to the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Now listen, there is a lot of open-endedness in this story. There's a lot of speculations that read between the lines. I'm not gonna do that today. But what I'm gonna say is, I'm just gonna point out the obvious. This was not probably what was, what was sought after to be a cordial visit. When you seek out to somebody and travel 1,200 miles in an entourage with, with servants and gifts and things, and your, your whole purpose is to prove him wrong and to set him up for a test... I don't know how close of a friend she was. Was she a potential enemy? I would think somebody who's just trying to prove him wrong and prove his wisdom is false and to set up for 1,200 miles in that test may not have been a close friend at first. Just saying. So then you go into verse 2. She arrived in Jerusalem. Again, like I said, 1,200 miles. Jerusalem with a large group of attendants and a great caravan of camels loaded with spices, large quantities of gold, and precious jewels. When she met with Solomon, she talked with him about everything she had on her mind. Let me reword that. She gave him a piece of her mind. Solomon had answers for all of her questions, though. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba realized how very wise Solomon was and when she saw the palace he had built, she was overwhelmed. Another version says her breath was taken away. She was breathless. It says she was also amazed at the food on his tables, the organization of his officials, their splendid clothing, the cupbearers, and the burnt offering Solomon made to the temple of the Lord. She exclaimed to the king, Everything I heard in my country about your achievements and wisdom is true. I didn't believe what was said until I arrived here and saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I had not heard the half of it. Your wisdom and prosperity are far beyond what I was told. How happy your people must be. What a privilege for your officials to stand here day after day listening to your wisdom. Praise the Lord your God. Now, now listen, she was so overwhelmed. She was so moved by the excellence, the creativity of the dinner table, the place settings, the dinnerware, the china, The food, the servants, the servers, the excellence, the creativity in the palace and at the dinner table, it says this, it says, praise the Lord your God who delights in you and has placed you on the throne of Israel because of the Lord's eternal love of Israel. He has made you king so you can rule with justice and righteousness. Then she gave him 9,000 pounds of gold. I researched that one. $11,670,000 today. Almost $12 million of gold. Great qualities of, and quantities of spices and precious jewels. Never again were so many spices brought in as those the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Never again did he receive a gift to the magnitude Queen of Sheba gave him. It says, in addition, Hiram's ships brought gold from Ophir and they also brought rich cargoes of red sandalwood and precious jewels. The king used the sandalwood to make railings for the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and to construct lyres and harps for the musicians. Never before or since has there been such a supply of sandalwood. Now, that's an exotic, very expensive wood, maybe like mahogany to today. It says, King Solomon gave the Queen of Sheba whatever she asked for besides all the customary gifts he had so generously given. Then she and all her attendants returned to their own land. Listen, her breath was taken away. She was transformed. What may have ended up turning an enemy, he welcomes her to the table of somebody who's coming to prove him wrong. Somebody who's trying to trick him into the questions that she has and giving him a piece of her mind suddenly now turns into this beautiful friendship. And now the greatest, most extravagant gift that Solomon ever received was from the Queen of Sheba based on an experience with excellence and creativity of the dinner table, which led to an encounter into his presence and then a nation that's probably transformed. She left exalting the Lord of Solomon. She left praising the Lord of Solomon based on what she saw and experienced at the dinner table. here's, Here's what I think today. I think that there is creativity in this place. I think there's inventions in this place. I think there's innovations in this place. I think there are songs that need to be written, books that need to be written, music that needs to be written. I believe there's downloads in this place that will be different of how we do business, how factory lines are ran, what conveyor belts might look like, robots. I believe that there is such things in the capacity of the minds in this church that I think it could change history and transform culture and transform nations. Listen, Solomon's wisdom used a dinner table experience to transform a queen of an entire nation. I believe that there is that quality and caliber of creativity that God has placed in each of you today. Listen, I believe that he set up a table for us to have reconciliation and and connection with each other. But I also believe he's giving us the dinner table as an opportunity to actually bring creativity to the world around us. I believe there's promotions for 2018. I believe there's inventions, innovations, new businesses. I believe this. I believe that we're going to, on, 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 on December 31st, we're going to stand up and we're going to make declarations for 2018 at that service. And I hope to hear things like, like wealth and riches. Listen, I, we don't need it, but guess what? If you want to transform the world, it costs money. Maybe that's why it says Pastors and ministers are, are due double honor because they actually are entrusted to do something with it. L- listen, I, I understand the the, the the ministry to the poor and all that, but that costs money. It costs money to feed people, it costs money to transport people to nations that need to hear the gospel for the first time. It costs money to print those Bibles to translate it into their language. These things, so so where is the money come from? Well, my Bible says the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. What's that mean? There is money out in the world that needs to be tapped into through business, through invention, through innovation. And there's creativity that needs to be released into the kingdom. There are new songs that need to be written. There is a new sound for this generation. And if no one's going to get it onto paper and into a song, then it's not going to be sang. Listen, the world doesn't need another Matt Redman, another Chris Tomlin. The world doesn't need another Jake Hamilton or Bethel Music or Jesus Culture or Hillsong. The world doesn't need another Benny Hinn, a Bill Johnson, a Todd White, a Reinhard Bunkie, a Billy Graham. The world needs you. The The world needs you to step out into the creativity and the blessing and the anointing and the gifting that God's called you to do. It may look different than Solomon. It may look different than me. It may look different than the person next to you. And doggone it, it better look different. Why? Because you are wired and gifted to reach the people around you that no one else can reach. And you are wired and you are gifted to reach the things and the influences and the spheres and the culture that no one else can reach. Listen, I I was reading a a magazine article um, this week. 19 people who transformed hunting, and I read the story again of Matt McPherson. The guy was driving down the road. He's a believer. He's driving down the road. He had sold a company already uh, that he had made bows with, and he's driving down the road, and all of a sudden, he has an open vision of a blueprint hanging in front of him, and it's this pulley system, what we call the solo cam, And and he says, you know what? That looks like it might work. He goes home, he drives home, makes a prototype of it, and he's like, yeah, this might actually work. And it transformed bow hunting forever because of it. Listen, it is the largest, most, it has the greatest quality, and is the largest bow company in the world now from an open vision from heaven. Listen, why not us? Why not you? Why not you get the greatest business lead ever and transform the community and the people around you? Why not you get an idea that you profit from so you can bless the kingdom so it can be advanced? Not so that the talents can be stored up and buried and not used. No, so the talents can be multiplied. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to do communion here in a, in a minute and I'm going to close with a scripture when we come to the front. My wife, she has a dream to do a juice bar. My People have dreams in here. It's not copyrighted. Just don't steal the idea unless we're going to be a part of it, okay? Huh? Yeah, she, she wants the idea and wants to profit from it, but she doesn't want to run it. So if there's anybody willing to run a juice bar company, then, no, there's, there's, there's things. Like, you see time changing. You see processes changing. How we gave birth to our daughters, let, let me reword that. While my wife gave birth to our daughters, it wasn't the same way they did it 20 years ago. And it certainly wasn't the same way they did it 100 years ago. Thank God. The mot- mortality rate, a hundred years ago, giving birth was like 50%. So thank God it's different, but now there's techniques and they're saying, Why not the people in the church develop the next healthy food supplement, all natural thing? Why not the people in here? Why not the people in here develop the next thing, invent the next thing, innovate? Why not? Why not? We, we, we release the, the next top recording album in Christian market. Why not us? Why not Upper Room? Why, why not? Here's the deal. The Lord has put a table in front of us in the presence of our enemies, in the presence of our friends, in the presence of our family. Now it's up to us. Are we gonna pursue reconciliation? Are we gonna pursue to actually be the bigger person and go after that offense that's been dividing like a wedge? And maybe you've done that. Maybe you've done that. I believe it's time we have faith that it's actually going to reap a harvest now. You know, I know some situations in here where people have done that. They've, they've done everything they possibly can to build the bridge that needs to be connected back in their family. Now, why not this year be the year that that bridge is completed and honor is shown at that table from the other side too? Why not this year? So I'm gonna pray for two things before we have communion. I'm gonna pray for the spirit of reconciliation. I'm gonna pray for the, the unforgiveness to be released, offenses to be released, whatever that is in any relationship that you may have or that you may know of. Maybe you're part of the the witness being called in to help bridge that together and then i'm also going to pray that creativity is released in this place that we are woken up with dreams of inventions it's been prophesied Matt had a dude call him out read his mail and said i see you coming out with a new invention i see you moving knobs and and buttons i i don't feel that that's come to pass yet metaphorically maybe as a chief changing things changing structure but it was actually an invention that was going to be changed. So why not, Matt, invent one of the greatest things in the history of firefighting or whatever. I don't know. Maybe it's music. I don't know. But I believe that this is a year that prophecies are coming to pass. Unanswered prayers are being answered. I believe 2018 is, is going to be a great year. So God, right now I just pray for the spirit of reconciliation. I pray for the spirit of unity, of life, of hope, God, right now in the name of Jesus. We declare goodness, goodness, goodness over the dinner table, over the presence of our enemies, over offenses, over unforgiveness, over divisions right now, whatever it may be. God, maybe even past relationships, maybe even abusive relationships that ended in divorce, God. You're calling us in for enemies to friends. Right now, we just declare right now a spirit of reconciliation at the dinner table. Connection, Lord honor lord love lord it looks like something lord. god right now we pray for creativity we pray for insightful minds we pray for wisdom god we pray for innovation invention new businesses god new creations god just lord you, you say bring you a new song so i pray for new songs new poetry new books new instruments god whatever it might be god inventions 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 Creativity, 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 write the book, write the book, write the book. Pray for promotions, we pray for change in culture that will lead to good. We pray for diseases being cured by downloads from heaven. We pray for open visions for diseases like diabetes and cancer to be healed healed God we just pray for such great invention like even even if it's not a doctor God even if it's just somebody in here that just has a vision has sees molecules and and DNA strands just being worked out God right now we just declare goodness right now in the name of Jesus creativity and excellence just like Queen of Sheba God when we enter into spheres of influences and businesses that there will be such an excellence God because everything you are and operate with is excellent There'll be such an excellence that lives and and, and, and royalty is transformed. Nations are transformed. God, we pray for inventions and and creative thoughts and ideas to transform nations. To transform nations, just like the Queen of Sheba, just like Solomon had the gift to do, God. We just pray for that same thing to dwell in this house and the people that are here. Thank you, Jesus.